Get to the chopper. We have to go now. Good. Hello and welcome to the 14th episode of Cinema Decon, deconstructing and overthinking the movies of our younger years. My name is Steve, and on this podcast, we will revisit the movies that we keep in the back part of our minds as flawless masterpieces, untouchable by any criticism, and hopefully they stay that way. Join us as we rewatch a randomly selected movie from our list of 300 plus from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. With me on this journey is my co-host, a man who will air arm wrestle you anytime, anywhere, Aaron. How are you tonight, Aaron? I am hanging in there, Steve Z. It's been a busy couple of days around here. I'm just glad to be back on the mic for some more movie mischief. Yeah, absolutely. Also kind of thrilled for this episode, we're joined by our very own producer, Bud. Well, hello. Yeah, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what they always say. Because he, he's, he's invisible. Bud has graciously uh, accepted the role as a producer in the booth to help us out with the editing and uh, get more episodes out. To all of our eager listeners. So what we do here at Cinema Decon is a rewatch of an old movie with the hopes that they're still as good as we remember them. Then Steve and I meet up, talk about it, point out our high and low parts, uh, and give it a rank and place on our mega list. Before we watch our target movie, we first record our memories and recollections of it, then proceed to go and watch said movie. So far, our memories have been both perfect and completely wrong at the same time. Today's movie is the 1987 film Predator. Directed by John McTiernan, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Carl Weathers, Bill Duke, Jesse Ventura, and Shane Black. Thank you goes out to uh, Jamal Milton for sponsoring this episode with a generous donation. You can request a movie yourself. Just go to www.cinemadecon.com and click on the cut-in-line movie request to get your movie in there. All right, Aaron, what do you remember about Predator? All I remember is it was damn near a perfect movie. Um, it is very quotable, obviously. <laughs> get to the chopper. You have to go now. Do it now. If it bleeds, we can kill it. Yeah. Uh, good old Carl Weathers, Jesse the Body, Ventura, obviously the governor himself. Technically, there's two governors in this movie. Yes. Yeah. Or well, two future governors. Future governors. Yes. Yeah. And a and a future bounty hunter. <laughs> It was an interesting movie. It's one of those ones where it's sci-fi that doesn't feel sci-fi to me. This one was big in the barracks for obvious reasons. Lots of testosterone, you know, in that environment and just, you know. Just that Gatling gun, man. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that scene where they just, all, the whole crew just lights up the section of the forest. I, I remember that yeah. clearly. But this is a, it's a, it's a great movie as far as a, you know, hunter to prey and just it shifts, you know, to where they realize that they are the prey. Mm -hmm. They're not the nice twist as far as like you got all these muscle bound hardcore guys, but actually they are on the defensive. Mm -hmm. And that was, say, from what I remember, very well written movie and pretty awesome from front to back. So I'm looking forward to this one. Oh, yeah. Now, Predator 2, on the other hand, again, I haven't seen that in so long. Um, I just remember it, it's kind of like Predator takes Manhattan kind of thing because it's in the uh, it's in the city. <laughs> <laughs> so it's no no longer in the jungle. We're in the city now. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, that's when they started to get into like the the canon of the yeah. the predator character, and he's a hunter, and he just kind of they kind of go across the galaxy hunting, I guess. Mm-hmm. Which which of course has led to spawn the greatest of all time, Alien versus Predator. Which that's something I remember from Predator Two, because at the end of the movie in the Predator ship is the xenomorph skull on the wall. Yeah, yeah. So I, I do remember that. That was a, that was my first tie-in right there. So that was that was a great one to kick off the the whole Predator genre. Yeah, for lack of a better word. I have no idea the plot though. I don't know how or why Danny Glover's involved or anything. I don't really remember. I just remember Danny Glover's in it. Yeah, I do remember one scene where the Predator's like hurt and he has to patch himself up and he screams. That's like all I really remember. That and the end scene. Was that in Predator? I remember that scene. Was that Predator 2 or was that Predator 1? I am 99% sure that was Predator 2. Okay. Because I do remember that. Yeah, he has, he, yeah, he's got a like something on his arm or something and he has to pull out these things that he stabs himself with and he pulls out another one and like mm-hmm. cauterizes it weird yeah it's it's a very you know humanizing scene for him yeah and i think predator one was more of a you don't see it as much yeah you don't see him until the end uh yeah the uh, the heat vision is about the closest you get to him and that sound (laughs) that sound that it throws Mm -hmm. up whenever you get to the heat vision that's just like an iconic sound now Oh yeah, because that's right. Yeah, he had uh, Schwarzenegger had to cover himself with mud to 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 stop his heat vision. He figured mm-hmm. that out. That's right. I forgot about that. All right, we will go off and watch Predator. We have to go now. You ghosting us, motherfucker! I don't care who you are back in the world. You give up position one more time, I'll bleed you real quiet. Leave you here. And we're back. We have watched Predator. Aaron, initial thoughts. Basically, uh, well, 90% of it is exactly how I remember it. Um, One thing I did realize is I'm fairly certain I have never seen the beginning of this movie until this recent rewatch. (laughs) Something about like the first 10 minutes looked completely foreign. I don't think I've seen it. I think I've come in 10 minutes late to this movie my entire life. It's so, it, it, which is a weird feeling. It is one of those movies that when you think about it, you remember the jungle. Yeah. So all, all of the beginning stuff, uh, it, I remember it, but it does, every time you, you catch it on any sort of TV, it's always the jungle portion. It just kinda, yeah, it kind of throws you. Um, other than that, no, it's uh, it was pretty much exactly like I remember it, uh, other than that first part. And then I got to say that I have a much better appreciation for the soundtrack. And the score and or the score for this movie uh, a lot more than when I did growing up. Did you see who did the score? Uh, no, it? I did not. I didn't catch that. That's uh, Alan Silvestri. Ah, okay. Back to the Future. Oh yeah. Friend Roger Rabbit, Avengers. I mean, it's, it was fairly typical Arnold Schwarzeneggerism. Uh, it it reminded me a lot of his you know eighties nineties movies uh, from like Running Man and uh, a bunch of other ones. Terminator. Yeah, this, this one was right in his ascension. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is pure, unadulterated Arnold in that he, he's in perfect form. Yep. Uh, say Terminator was 84, Commando was 85, Predator was 87, Running Man 87. Uh, Total Recall, I think, was 90. And then 
Judgment Day was was ninety one. So this is just like straight in that skyrocket of his stardom. Yeah, right, right in the middle. Yeah, I mean, and he was awesome in this. This movie is is almost perfect to me. I, I loved it. Just fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a tight story, a great cast, and uh, it spans like three genres, all all within you know one you know really tightly cut movie. Mm-hmm. About all, all it needed was a little like rom com in there. It'd be perfectly well rounded. And who knows? Maybe him and Anna. Gonna, yeah. Final girl. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, you mentioned the beginning. The opening scene is actually my really only complaint about this movie. Is why have that alien landing scene? Well, it gives away so much. Yeah. And that's the thing, and that's the, that's I literally do not remember that at all. We're watching this like, oh crap, did we get the wrong movie? Yeah, like, is, this, is this enemy mine or something else? <laughs> they do the same thing in the the thing, John Carpenter's the thing, yeah. where at the beginning you've got this alien moment. It's like, why? It would have been, I would have rated this a whole point higher if I could. Uh, if they would just not if have that, because that it would it would have yeah. added a, a lot more suspense. The audience would have been in the same mindset as Arnold's crew. Exactly, uh, because uh, other than that, as you're watching it, uh, you know, watching it for the first time, of course, if you've seen it before, you know. But it, uh, watching it for the first time when it first yeah. came out, aside from that scene, you have no idea that this is an alien. You think you think they're being hunted by some kind of animal or something. Exactly. For all we know. It would have added a lot to this to the story and in the um... to the lasers. <laughs> <laughs> they could be sharks with freaking laser beams attached to their heads, though. <laughs> that had to have come from the studio with just we don't understand what's going on. You need to add something at the beginning so us, yeah, you know, dumboids can can understand the plot. Yeah, people are going to be uh, not or what they're worried that people are going to be getting up and walking out of the theater or something. So they're like, we need to make this dumber so people will understand it. Typical Hollywoodism. Yeah. But other than that, movie kicks off great. Uh, you've got this arrival at base camp with, uh, you, so you got the Alan Silvestri kind of military, militaristic mu- music going in the uh, choppers are landing. You got all kinds of, that cho- all kinds yeah, of guys just looking serious. That chopper was coming in really low too. <laughs> it was, it was pretty, it was pretty aggressive. I liked it. Which, which again, surprised me for when the movie was done because they usually wouldn't do, the, uh, you know, back then they didn't do as dangerous of things. So I'll give them that. Maybe that's not nearly as dangerous as it looks. Coming in that low and fast and tilted, but yeah, maybe. Uh, uh, was this after the Twilight Zone uh, helicopter mishap with uh, John Landis? I do not know. Yeah, I mean, same same types of helicopters, same types of environment. I mean, they it, it, it could have could had an impact there. Yeah. Uh, the um, uh, but we get a nice you know non spoken scene with each of the crew kind of exiting the the helicopters, and when that's when we first meet Dutch, who's stays in the helicopter. Uh, Dutch is Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, just a darkened silhouette, light a cigar. Just just beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah, and uh, finally, uh, I also loved uh, Jesse Ventura, who plays 
Shit, I lost him. He's Blaine. Blaine, yeah. Uh, plays Blaine in this nice pink MTV shirt, which, of course, also dates the movie pretty well. <laughs> I did make a note of the MTV shirt, yeah. <laughs> Complete with the moon man and everything, I think. Well, and every single person had a different style of civilian clothes. Mm-hmm. So it, it was a nice contrast for in a few scenes later when they're back on the helicopter heading out on the mission. Uh, but they're each unique personas without even saying a word yet. That's just good writing. So Dutch and crew, they go into the, the general's hut and they meet uh, Dylan, who is Carl Weathers. Yeah. Carl yeah. Weathers is an old teammate of uh, Dutch's who works for the CIA now. And we get the origin of one of the greatest memes on the Internet. Yeah. The air, hair arm wrestle. You son of a bitch. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Snapshot. Yeah, there's people out there that know that meme, but have never seen the movie, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we're describing it well enough so people know what we're talking about. If you don't know what we're talking about, watch the movie. Yeah, they, they kind of do this air, 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 air like handshake arm wrestle thing, and then they hold it in the air, uh, comparing each other's strength uh, as just a you know full testosterone, who's more of a man. Yeah. <laughs> Between the Terminator and Apollo Creed. Yeah. So it's at this point that we start to get like a, rem, uh, a semblance of what the plot of this movie is going to be. Um, the Dutch's team has been brought in uh, at the request of the general's team uh, to help track down a cabinet uh, cabinet member who is uh, helicopter went down in the jungle of they never did name the country. Are we to assume it's supposed to be uh, like Colombia? It's it's Central America. Yeah. Because uh, there, there's a brief map and, and it just kind of shows, so some, I think, Central America. Yeah, so there was this, there's a cabinet member, uh, air quotes, that was, uh, they basically lost. I don't know if they – he I don't recall if he actually said that the helicopter went down at this point or if they just got lost. I think they said they lost contact, lost contact with, a, with, yeah. the, with the chopper that had that diplomat on board. Because it's hostile territory and they can't legally be in there. So, so he's pitching it to them as a rescue mission, yeah. Because Dutch and his crew of uh, you know elite soldiers, they they apparently have morals, and uh, they say we are a rescue team, we're not assassins. Huh. But you can tell Dutch is already kind of suspicious, kind of wary, yeah. But it, the fact that uh, that Dylan is there and Dylan's the one selling it to him, and he's an old friend, I think that kind of smooths it over a bit, at least for now. And I think it's when Dylan says, I'll be out there with you, that yeah. his suspicions are like, you know, perked up. Something's off here. Yeah. Because Dylan at this point is, you know, is known CIA, right? Well, he, he used to be wherever. He used to be in know, that they, crew. And- well, they came up together in whatever outfits previously, but he's now been behind a desk for a while. Um, but that's the thing. I, he's been behind the desk for the CIA, correct? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And what I can't remember is if he – if if they make a note that Dutch knows he's with CIA. Cause you know, what uh, they do with CIA. They, they do. Cause he makes fun of his ties. Like this is what the CIA has got you dressed as That's, now. Okay. Yeah. I couldn't remember yep. that. Yeah. They just throw it out there real, real quick. So yeah, when he's, when he comes in and says, you know, I'll be out there with you. That does kind of perk it a bit because yeah, you don't do this anymore. And you're a desk guy. Why? I, I, I kind of understand from Arnold's perspective Yes, I can see him being here as a liaison to mm-hmm. introduce the general and, and whatnot, but not to actually participate. And from a military perspective, he has every right to be 
uh, apprehensive about it because when you've got a crew of that nature that trains together and knows each other and they, I mean, they, they can work silently together throwing an un, I won't say untrained, but just a, a new variable in that well, well-tuned machine can throw off everything. Which that point exactly comes, comes back to bite him a little bit down the road. It does. Yes. So then, so that was, it was good that they factored that in and they brought that into it. So. But they do uh, accept the mission, and then we get to the next scene, which is them back on the chopper. With a big-ass 80s boombox strapped to the wall. <laughs> Blasting like, out some uh, Long Tell Sally from oh, Little yeah. Richard. I mean, all it's, all it's missing at this point is uh, John Cusack holding it up. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> he would have been out <laughs> of place. It's a poster of John Cusack <laughs> taped on, underneath. Yeah, that would have been perfect. Um, and this is where we get... This is where we get the first uh, comedy act or attempted comedy act from uh, was it Hawkins? Yeah, because we get the we get to meet all the people in the crew now. Yeah, so we uh, I think we first we meet kind of Blaine Jesse Ventura, uh, who's got a big old thing of dip in, mm-hmm. spitting all over the place, he's, he's, spitting on Carl Weathers' shoes, <laughs> and he's offering it to people, and uh, no one's accepting it. Uh, and he has a great line. It's like, the, the stuff this should have turned you into a sexual Tyrannosaurus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got a uh, Mac played by Bill Duke in the background. Uh, he's, he's quiet. He's the, yeah, he's the quiet guy that you don't want to piss off. You just got that look that he will snap your neck without thinking about it. Yeah. He, he, and he's, I mean, Bill Duke has these eyes. He just looks yeah. crazy. <laughs> uh, Hawkins played by Shane Black, the comms guy. And he's the one making the, the jokes. The attempted jokes. <laughs> yeah, he makes an attempted uh, specific, joke with two. Yeah, he has a specific genre he focuses on. <laughs> uh, specifically, pussy jokes. Pussy jokes. said, you know, I'd like a little pussy. She said, me too. Mine's as big as a house. See, she, she wanted a littler one because hers was... Big as a house. <laughs> he tries making this really terrible pussy joke to Billy, the uh, Native American, who just stares at him. <laughs> yeah. And very stoic, very... That's our poised. first... And thus the first trope that I have listed for this movie is the, having the Native American tracker. True. Yeah, that, that is definitely a, a stereotype trope. And I think they treat it well. I think, I, yeah, I don't have any issues with it. I just, it is a trope. Because they don't exploit it. They use it as a, um, that is his skill and they treat him with reverence mm-hmm. for it. He's very well respected for his oh, tracking yeah, skills. All, they all trust him very well, so... Oh yeah. When when he hears a twig snap and he stops, everybody stops and it's just mm-hmm. wait. And then we have other guy, <laughs> which we've discovered Poncho. his name is Poncho. Sorry, I I still can't I, hear it without thinking Rick and Morty. How's this for a burning sensation? I feel bad. I have this other guy like five times in my notes because I can't forget his name. But I, I love this scene because it really shows that the team is, you know, they're getting into show mode and they all have their ways and they all respect each other. And you could tell that these guys have worked mm-hmm. together before. Uh, and then again, Dylan 
Carl Weathers is the outside man. He's he's not in the group. Like you mentioned, uh, Jesse Mature just no. you know spits a big hawk of dip yeah, right out of his boots. Kind of sets the mood of yes, you're not you shouldn't be here, kind of thing. Get out of our turf because none of them know him. Schwarzenegger's the only one. Dutch is the only one yeah. that knows him, and they have no That's reason right. to trust him. Uh, it also does a really good dynamic of them being, you know, kind of semi laid back, you know, laid back for that crew. Obviously, Hawkins super laid back, telling pussy jokes. And then to the next scene, after the chopper comes into a hover and they all rappel down, and then they're in game mode, you know, flanking through the jungle with without a word, just, you know, the hand signals and everything, uh, just like full on game mode, ready to go. I, I personally geeked out at the rappelling. That's a perfect air assault drop. I loved it. Reminded me of, of mild training that I never actually you know did in real time, but lots of training. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it is fun to jump out of helicopters. But yeah, once they hit the ground, though, they each had their specialty. They knew exactly what to do. Very clockwork. Those, those guys all work like yeah, clockwork. This is, this is where my original memories of the movie start. Is As they're going through the jungle right after rappelling in, and they come across uh, the wrecked upside down chopper up in the trees. Yes, they find the find the helicopter, but no, no survivors, no casual. Yeah, I so, think this, think the- so this helicopter is like stuck in vines and uh, tree limbs and everything upside down, and they're climbing up these vines and uh, attaching ropes and climbing up onto it. I'm like, how how did you guys? think that it, this was not going to fall while you guys are up there. <laughs> uh, it's one of those, do they, do they just as, assume the risk or do you think they actually checked it out and and thought it was good? If it's going to hold the helicopter, then it's going to hold them kind of thing. I would, I would kind of lean towards a combination. Yeah. You know, they, they would, they have to check it out. I mean, that's, that's yeah. their mission. They, they got it up there somehow. So you know, and I think they do find the and I can de- internet. In that respect, I can definitely see having one person do it because that's a, that's a risk limitation. Having two guys up there though seems a little excessive. Buddy system can't can't go solo. Yeah, but that's twice the weight on a helicopter that could fall out of the trees in any moment and kill anyone. Those two. Well, these are the these ground. are very thin guys. These guys aren't muscular at all. You know, they they don't work out. No, of course not. No, no. <laughs> There's th- thin as a rail. <laughs> this is where they notice, though, when they come back down, that uh, it's a surveillance helicopter. It, there, it was not the right kind of helicopter mm-hmm. that they were told. So this is one of the first ticks. So again, this uh, if they didn't have the the pod landing scene at the beginning, you start to think, okay, maybe this is like a spy thing uh, or just straight CIA thing. You have no idea what it's really going on, but. And they also, I have no here, they, they find six rangers with U.S. Army mm-hmm. boots. And of, course, and of course, Dylan has no idea what that's all about. Must have been another crew. Yeah, must have been another crew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. way to sell it there, bud. So yeah, they, uh, so the initial helicopter had rangers with this uh, uh, surveillance mission. Uh, they, there was no diplomat. Uh, but then as they continue on, uh, now they find bodies. Oh yeah, boy, do they find bodies! And uh, this is kind of a, the military thing of, of the progression of, of the mission. With it was the Rangers first, then they send in Green Berets to to rescue the Rangers, mm-hmm. and then you know Dutch's special ops team on the on the back end. But that's 
it's just kind of interesting. Rangers first, then the Green Berets, then the then the rescue team. Uh, but yeah, so several Green Berets were found hanging and skinned, and, and Dutch knows them. Oh yeah, because uh, they find their dog tags. So they're yeah they're naked, skinned, hanging upside down in the trees, which Billy had to climb up this tree to even see because it was hidden from uh, leaves and stuff. Oh, that's right. Uh, and he was hearing, he heard the vultures that were right. uh, pecking around him as he does uh, the typical, he, he's walking through, cutting a vine in half and drinking from it. That's right. <laughs> as we all do when we're out in the j- jungle. Yeah. So, and then Dutch confronts, confronts Dylan. Dylan is saying, well, you think you guys were the first ones we sent in? This was, this was my crew. These were my guys that I sent in to find that helicopter first. So now they don't have a clue what's going on yet. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, Billy does make a good note that there was a firefight there and they fired off in all directions, Yeah, which is weird. And there's no tracks anywhere. And this is, this is when, uh, old painless gets pulled out of, uh, pulled out of the coffin. Right up. Oh, the Blaine's oh, yeah. minigun. <laughs> old painless. Uh, as they start to move on, uh, we get one of my favorite lines in the movie, which is from Bill Duke, where he, he cu- creeps back to, Carl Weathers and just and he goes in a whisper is like you're ghosting us motherfucker I'll build I'll bleed you real slow leave you right here <laughs> he's like my favorite character in the movie yeah. really Bill so this Duke. is about the time when we get our first uh view of predator vision you get that right. you, you get that, that heat vision sound and then the Pretty good for 1987, yeah. I think. Oh no! It, uh, I'm sure the newer Predator movies have done it much better. But I, I, I want like to. It's like the opposite end of like the Terminator Vision, which was about that same sound with the with a red. Uh, whenever you watch like Terminator, Terminator Two, um, this was it with in Heat Vision mode, which was cool. Mm-hmm. I'm curious as to our you know, next movies we do if um, the Heat Vision point of view gets gets a little more crisp a little clearer i'm, I'm curious yeah, they how upgrade. that goes they, yeah. they're, they're on the uh warranty plan <laughs> <laughs> next up we get a fantastic scene of the enemy camp is found and again we don't really know yeah. the enemy it just local the rebels enemy. whatever you know s- yeah stereotypical you know sandinista something something but it's it's really a, a great scene it's all explosions and 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 everything a, a army guy like me loves, and the uh, I like the precision and execution mm. of the team. To even Carl Weathers, he he's a participant in it, and uh, he he knows the hand signals. He knows the uh, the proper way to take this base, uh, even if it doesn't necessarily you know go as planned. On on you know Arnold kind of improvises a bit. Yeah, that was a little weird. <laughs> But uh, uh, Blaine and Bill Duke, they uh, they come across some claymores very silently, and they take those out, and then they take out a couple guards and give hand signals back. Dutch creeps down in a low crawl and gets up there, sees the everything from the ground level, and decides to call an audible and lifts a truck. <laughs> yeah, they had this they had this truck operating as their generator that was up up on stacks. It had no back wheels. the The rear wheel was replaced with a pulley. To run, uh, to generate uh, electricity. Yeah, so he th- he throws some explosives on it, and then you know goes all full Arnold with the muscles and just lifts it up off the ground. Yeah, picks it up, 
walks it a little bit forward off the toes and just drops it. So the, uh, the wheels catching will just send it flying toward one of the buildings. Shock and awe. <laughs> just like they did in Desert Storm. Need to uh, <laughs> clip that scene and just put the Team America song over it. It's America. Fuck yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, this is where we get our first couple of Arnoldisms, where he's like, uh, stick around and mm-hmm. knock, knock. So they, they take this base through, you know, ex- explosions, firepower, and just all around Americanism. Yeah. Pretty awesome. But they leave one alive who just so happens to be an attractive woman. Of course. Yeah. This is our first look at the gal, uh, at the minigun uh, in use too, which was just a beautiful thing. Yeah. You could tell Jesse Ventura was having fun with that. Oh yeah. You try, uh, the, down. Some of the guys try to get out, get away in their chopper uh, and that does not end up very well for them. Uh, one thing I've, I've noted uh, is this is pretty typical for action movies in this genre is they're not holding their weapons right. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> at all. Arnold, Arnold's basically firing an M16 from the hip. I think all of them were. I mean, maybe one or two of them uh, were firing them properly. But. Yeah, they're all firing from the hip. They're all, uh, well, and throughout, and I got this note for the uh, uh, the awesome scene in the jungle, but weapons don't jam in this world. No. Uh, the amount of ammo they expend without any jams is just a damn miracle. The, the amount of ammo they have as well. That's also true. We do see them reload, but the but the amount of excess ammo that they have available mm-hmm. is unlimited. Uh, maybe they found a video game crate there at the book. Yeah, that's, uh, I'm thinking it's the same the same people that made the Warthog because that gun never <laughs> that never ran out. <laughs> Uh, we get a great line from Blaine, though, the, uh, I ain't got yeah. time to bleed. Yeah, and then the, and then the w- appropriate response, do you have time to duck? <laughs> and then he and then he blows up the shelf up right above them. <laughs> uh, Mac comes out to Dutch and says that they found a, a trove of intel, and uh, they stumbled onto something big with Russians and locals and the CIA. So... That leads Dutch to be pissed at Dylan again. And Dylan finally comes clean with what they are doing and that he pretty much lied to them. Good. So this this was an assassination meeting uh, mission to to clear out this. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. Cell, I guess you could say. Yeah. Gorillas. Yeah. This cell of gorillas uh, uh, to prevent something big and that if he had told them the truth, they wouldn't have done it. Yeah. Uh, Which is probably right. Uh, yeah, he is right. He's, and uh, he's like, well, we could have been killed. It's like, you're all an expendable asset. Throughout all this, the Predator is just watching from a distance. Yeah, you get the, you get the heat vision sprinkled in. And it's, yeah, the, uh, he definitely needs an update, upgrade on the resolution for that head, headpiece. Because um, it's very blurry. So maybe get him some 1080p. Uh, ice pocket <laughs> yeah, it was hard to tell the outlines sometimes of who was supposed to be being watched. You could tell it was supposed to be heat vision, but you couldn't tell like the angles. Like n- knowing that he was in the trees now, you can tell that it's kind of overhead. But if you had no frame of reference on what you were even looking at, you wouldn't know. You'd know it was heat vision, but you wouldn't know it was a guy up in the trees. Yeah, kind of yeah, because it just the resolution wasn't there. Yeah, he, he watches the uh, exchange first between Hawkins and Billy because 
Hawkins tells another pussy joke. And this time Billy laughs and he laughs like overly laughing. And then he stops because he senses something that's off and looks up in the trees. He can feel that he's being watched. And then we get a good scene with Dylan and Mac with the uh, the knife in the back. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, oh, yeah. Uh, it's a stabbing a that, scorpion. Yeah, that, yeah he literally, uh, it looks like he's flat out going to stab him mm-hmm. over this whole thing. And he just, he snaps a scorpion right off his shoulder with a knife in a stabbing motion. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he wasn't nice or anything. He's just, you know, come here. And then as he gets there, he's like, check that out just to get him to turn around. And as, as he starts to turn around, that's when Mac pulls out the knife. Yeah. <laughs> like he's just here, look over there. And then immediately like, I'm going to stab you. Mother. That was well done because you, as the viewer, you honestly thought that he was, he was about to stab him. Like, you oh, know, shit. <laughs> probably because Dylan, you know, brought, brought them into this situation, you know, in false pretenses. Because he lied to him. Uh, so that was done. It was done very well. And it had a, it, and, but and it also freaked Dylan out. Yeah. Like, oh shit, I screwed up kind of thing. It had a good payoff too with the predator too, because when they vacate the compound and head off in the jungle, he goes down to see what they were looking at and he picks up the scorpion as it's dying. Yeah. Because it's, you see the outline of the scorpion in his hand and then the scorpion goes black. Which which leads me to think it's, that it's not 100% true heat vision because some, it wouldn't go or it wouldn't go dark that quickly from dying. I don't know. I don't know the uh, the you know temperature internal temperature of of arachnids. So, but this is the first view that we actually see a part of the predator. You actually see that that's true. The, the hand, the big, uh, big, pretty big hand with pointy fingernails. And uh, the the way the scorpion uh, you know disappears into his hand, it's it's uh, it's good foreshadowing as far as you know mm-hmm. you know things that he can't see. So the uh, the team has to uh, find a safe place for extraction, uh, which that area is too hot. So they have to uh, walk a long way through the jungle. I don't remember how many miles yeah, they had to walk. But. Yeah, they were basically they were cut off. They tried radioing in for support, and were told that the area was too hot. They were surrounded, so they have to hike out. And there's only one path that they could get out per Billy, and that was through this valley. This is about the time where the girl who, Anna, which we don't learn her name yet, but she fakes falling down as she's being carried through the jungle. And then as Dylan's the one escorting her, tries to help her up, she like throws a bunch of leaves and rocks into his face and starts booking it. Is literally immediately caught. (laughs) (laughs) I actually have that. Girl tries to escape, quickly stop. Yeah. I like that we get a nice side conversation with Lane and Mac. Uh, it, it shows that they've got a close friendship. Mm-hmm. They, they've got a very good buddy-buddy friendship, which comes into play here in the near future. And then Billy, who is still sensing that something's off, he this is where he gets that moment where he stops in the middle of the single-file trek that something's in the trees. Yeah. And he's actually staring right at it, but he yeah. can't see. And at this point, we can't see either. We haven't We haven't seen that yet. Uh, at this point, Dylan, uh, leaves Anna with one of the other guys. I honestly can't remember who it was. Was it Poncho? Poncho. Yeah. yeah. Cause it was yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay. That's right. Cause she, he, this, I have girl gives other guy the sexy eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <Poncho>. <laughs> As she's doing that, she picks up a log and <laughs> smacks him with it. Starts running, of course. And it's, it's Hawkins. Hawkins and tackles Poncho, her. Poncho starts running after, and, uh, 
yeah, I actually have in my notes Hawkins, so I had the wrong name. But uh, Poncho r- runs after and catches him. Meanwhile, you, we see. No, no, you're right. You're right. Hawkins, Hawkins races to ca- recapture. Okay. She she hits hits Poncho. He's down. Oh right. Hawkins Shane Black is the one that uh, runs after her and tackles her. Okay. And in the mean, and while this is happening, while the chase is happening, we get a little peppered shots of the predator watching that, watching this chase. So he's following them. And so yeah, so he he's actually watching you know two armed guys, one unarmed girl, and watching it go down, and seizes on his moment to uh, start his takedown of the one by one, and drags yeah. Hawkins out into the jungle and kills him. Yeah. This is the first shot of the active camouflage. Yes, yes, it which is. for 1987 was really cool. Yeah, I liked it for, like I said, for 87. They did it very well. I thought that they did that well. That kind of set the tone for what active camo looks like in every other sci-fi. It does, yeah. Because I think this was like one of the first, if not the first, to have something like this. I read how they did it uh, with uh, you know, the different shots, but I forget the technical details of it. It, it went above my head mm-hmm. as a you know. I'm not a filmmaker. The girl's in shock, though. She says the jungle came alive and took him, which doesn't make sense to anyone. Mm-hmm. This is when they, uh, yeah, they start going after him and they find entrails. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, uh, is it, Haw- I found something or someone. Is it Hawkins? I can't tell. I'm like, oh, that's, that's kind of chilling. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, because they say this doesn't fit the MO of a normal enemy kill that they're fighting. Yeah. This is all odd to them. I have a note here is that I feel for these guys in the jungle in 87, they're using the same tactical gear that I was issued in 98 mm-hmm. to 2000. That stuff sucks. <laughs> it's, it's bulky. It's hot. It's, it's, it's all just terrible, but they, uh, you know, they're all wearing it. They're all using it. So it does work. <laughs> so at this point, this is when the team splits up to try to find the rest of Hawkins's body. And uh, while they're doing that, the camera pans up and shows, Hawkins strung up like the other bodies, not skinned like the other bodies, but strung up because this was a quick. Mm-hmm. He had to get him strung up and then leave. Didn't have the time to, to do the full skin. Yeah, that's right. So it's a long tracking shot. It follows the blood trail all the way up the leaves, mm-hmm. up the vines, till you get to the body. Now we have Blaine venturing into the scene with his MTV shirt there in plain view. Mm-hmm. And and what did he name the gun? Uh, Old Painless. Old Painless. That's right. Poor uh, Governor Ventura. He gets shot in the back with a laser. Quick death for him. But Mac is there quickly, and he sees the outline of the Predator. Yeah. And uh, he starts firing just blindly into the jungle. The rest of the squad hears that. They come running, and they all just start firing blindly in the same direction. Mac runs out of ammo, picks up Old Painless. He starts firing with the minigun. Yeah, they they pretty much emptied uh, the entirety of uh, an ammunition depot. This week's episode is brought to you by Gary's Freedom Emporium and Bait Shop. Come on down to Gary's, where we've got 3,500 square feet of pure, unadulterated liberty and justice for all. Free night scopes and silencers for the first 100 customers each day. Gary's Freedom Emporium and Base Shop. We are guaranteed to run out of targets before you run out of ammo. <laughs> Into that one section of the jungle really fast. It's a great scene. And it lasts a good minute. Yeah. Nothing but fire. And they're they're reloading, too. <laughs> Because uh, those they, they got like eight round clips of the, the M16s. They just firing off just eight rounds and boom. It's funny just how 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 much firepower they shoot into that jungle. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. So after that's all done, this is when they finally check out Jesse and notice that the wound, uh, the shot wound, is cauterized and there's no shrapnel in it. 
which of course because it's a it's freaking laser beams or whatever, plasma or something the blaster uh and we also uh so the the girl also sees the dayglow blood on the leaves around there yeah that bright green blood was she like wipe it on herself or something or uh i think she i think she like keeps some of it touched it with her hands and and brought it up to her face but that was about it within a matter of minutes they lost two key members of their team and it's it hits them hard especially mac you know they say nothing on earth could have nothing on this earth could have lived through that mm-hmm. you've got dutch saying lines like uh, uh i guess we're all expendable and then good old billy we're, we're all gonna, gonna die, die. That night at camp, Mac is com- losing his mind in, in grief. He's like talking to the moon. He sets up tripwires with the claymores and then sits there uh, swigging from his cantina, uh, mourning Blaine. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they, they uh, he's like kind of drinking to to his friend. Yeah, it really hit him hard. You know, they were they were they were old friends. Yeah, definitely shoots in the fact that they were real good buddies. Uh, we then get to the uh, the first scene uh, without the active camo on Predator. We show him uh, doing his repairs. That's right, yeah. So he uh, comes in, he disengages the camo, and then starts pulling out tools from this little kit to fix his wound that he's still bleeding from. Is that where he yells? Does he do like a, like a, as he's healing himself, does he... I don't have that in the notes. I remember like he, I remember there was a part when he, he finally stabs himself with something and then just... Yeah, really loud. That was it. I think that that might be when Billy yeah. says we're all going to die. <laughs> but yeah, that night though, uh, all the alarms and trip wires go off, and Mac goes nuts, attacks the intruder. Turns out it was just a gigantic boar. Oh yeah, he he goes to town on that thing. Yeah, he's off the deep end at that point. But they basically, yeah, with him doing that, all uh, the whole crew basically left Anna in the camp alone. That's right. To come yeah. out and find him. When they finally come back, they realize, holy shit, she's probably gone. But no, she's still sitting there, uh, which kind of gives them an idea that she is scared to death, whatever happened. Yeah. Yeah, she's terrified. And Blaine's body is gone. Yeah. So the Predator, without a sound, ended up taking Jesse the Body Ventura out of there. Yeah, and they, they're they not seeing any tracks or anything. And this is uh, when they realize how this happened that he that he's not coming on the ground he's coming in from from the trees yep yeah dutch speaks out loud that they, they are now the ones being hunted it's what i was saying that the the movie kind of has several different genres you know starts off as a military action flick and then then it changes to a ho- horror survival before it eventually kind of takes a leap into sci-fi mm-hmm. you know, and it does this seamlessly all very well cut yeah uh but this is where we also get uh the girl Dutch says, you know, no more games. Tell us what you know. And she speaks clear English, mm-hmm. which means she's smart. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she reveals that she knows it's wounded because of the blood, which triggers the uh, wonderful Arnold catchphrase. If it bleeds, we can kill it. Great. line. <laughs> Instead of just trying to get away, though, now they decide to, to make a stand to trap and kill what's hunting them. Yeah. We have the, the montage of setting up the claymores in the mines. Cause you gotta, gotta have, have a montage. montage. That's I literally have that in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> and they're even doing old school like hunter traps. Yeah, yeah, the old you know shaving down sticks and say, like all all it was missing was a cardboard box with a <laughs> stick and a string. I mean, I would have paid good money just to see that. 
human ingenuity. Yeah. Uh, as they're sitting there waiting, Mac is doing this very weird stoic dry shave thing. Yeah, dry shaving with a bick. And he like stops halfway down his cheek and just purposely cuts himself by pushing really hard into it. It's such a great character note on it, though. It's just, it's really. Oh, yeah. It works for him. It does. Okay. Dutch steps out to use himself as bait. And uh, the predator eventually trips one of the traps, does some crazy gymnastics to get out of it, and his camo starts to fault out. Yeah, I was going to say, it, yeah, he gets tripped by one of the, by a net. Yeah. Uh, the net pulls him up in trees. You can see him, he starts firing out of the net to try to get away, and it finally, like four or five shots, I think, finally breaks through. But that's, uh, yeah, that's when we see the camo start failing. And we got, uh, Poncho gets hit with a great big log, so he's, and how he survived that gigantic log hitting him. I don't know, but now they've got the trope of the, the one injured guy and the crew that they got to take care of. Uh, but Mac in his, you know, craziness, he runs after the predator. He just takes off solo. Oh yeah. He's, he's on. And then yeah, Dylan, Dylan runs after him. Mac appears to be having a nervous breakdown. Yeah. Dylan basically uh, goes up and tries to find him and basically gets grabbed from behind by Mac just to keep him from making a sound because Mac's already laying there staring through the trees watching. Yeah, he's and he's like, he's right there. And then uh, so then Dylan and uh, Mac can both see the outline against the tree. Mm -hmm. He's out on a branch. They can actually see the predator. So they they devise a a half-assed plan to, to try and flank him and draw him out. But the predator's all over this one. Yeah. So Max starts crawling, crawling through, and then all of a sudden he sees three red dots on his arm. That that classic predator target system now. Oh yeah. That, that's that's a trademark now. He turns over and the, the three red dots move to his uh, move to his forehead, and it's good night, good night, Irene. Yeah. I mean that's a gruesome death scene for for Mac too. That was. That plan failed spectacularly. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, at this point, uh, uh, Anna basically tries to go for a gun, thinking, oh, crap, I need to pretend myself. And then he, this is when Dutch realizes she wasn't harmed because she was the only one that wasn't armed. Oh, yeah. So he kicks it out of her hand kind of thing uh, and explains it to her. That's right. And uh, Dylan, Carl Weathers, he, he decides to hang back and self-sacrifice to buy them some time so that they can get get to the helicopter and he has a pretty good death scene. This one was weird. Cause this goes back. I, I forgot to mention there was that, there was a scene earlier where the predator is sitting around like, uh, going over replay of recorded audio from the team. Mm-hmm. So he's got a couple lines from Mac that he was playing over and over again. And you're thinking, okay, he's trying to learn, learn about his brain. It, it was the word anytime. I remember from when he stabbed the scorpion. Yeah. He's, and he's like, D- Dylan says thanks. Then Max, you know, anytime, anytime, anytime. And he, and he, re- yeah, and he keeps repeating that one. Yeah, but yeah, as he's uh, as Dylan gets uh, ready to attack after Mac gets blown all the fuck, uh, Predator starts playing Max's voice back to him. Yeah. during that thing. So, so Carl Weathers gets his arm shot off. Oh yeah, and then impaled and <laughs> it gets shot off it's still shooting he's still pulling the trigger on the ground i don't know about the medical action of of that being plausible would that be a trope i don't know because i can't think of anything else where that specifically happens yeah, nothing, nothing comes to mind but it's got to be somewhere else i, don't I mean the, the trope would be getting shot and and 
firing straight up in the air as you fall backwards kind of thing. <laughs> Not too many of the literally blowing off arms. <laughs> well, yeah, but then he gets impaled and yeah, but the biggest thing is like now here he is with no arm. He's just, he's got an arm blown off. So he literally uh, grabs the, uh, grabs his other gun with his other hand and tries to <laughs> swing around, continue fighting. So I'll give him that. He, he redeemed himself though. I mean, he, he, Brought them out there under false pretenses, but he gave them time to get away-ish. So now all we got left is Dutch, Anna, and Billy, and the injured Poncho. I will say that for a missing limb scene for Dylan, that was very good for the for the ages. Yeah. That looked very good. So props on that one. So now they get to a big cro- uh, kind of a creek crossing with a big log over it, and Billy decides uh, it's his turn to make a stand. Yeah. I'm done running. Fuck this. Basically takes off a shirt, draws his knife out, slices his own chest, which you, you then see a uh, predator vision scene of it where the wound on his chest shows up, shows up differently, which is yeah, cool. Nice touch. Uh, but then Billy's killed off screen. You just hear a loud scream. Oh, and this is, this is when Anna tries to pick up a gun again and Ar- and Arnold kicks it out of her hand and we get the get to the chopper <laughs> classic scene here yeah get to the chopper you have to go now good yeah uh, dutch actually gets shot he he gets shot like in in the in his gun mm-hmm. his gun gets shot out of his hand he gets blown back he's on the ground and uh that's when he yells to anna and poncho you know, yeah get to the chopper and no get to the chopper yeah, and he starts he starts running through the jungle because now he's unarmed. He doesn't, or he's you know relatively unarmed. And he gets away and falls into the river. Yeah, he he slips and goes over a cliff into the water. As he's as he come, uh, you know, it, he falls in the water, and then you see him swimming out of it. And as he gets to the end, you see a splash. That was cool. That was cool. That splash was really neat because it and I, I had forgotten about it. Yeah. And so it kind of comes out of nowhere, and you get that sinking oh shit feeling. Yeah. So that that just happens, and that uh, again, very good effects for the eighties, right? Um, Pre CGI. So this is it, this freaks Dutch right out. So he starts crawling out of the water as quick as he can. He just happens to be in the buddy section of the shore, mm-hmm. and basically cakes himself in that mud. And he he hides like on, under some tree roots and stuff, and just just hopes for the best. Yeah, he's I I think he's honestly expecting that this is it, and this is when he realizes uh, the predator just ignores him, and he puts two and two together. He looks he like picks up the mud, looks at his fingers, like huh, it didn't see me. Is this the first kind of like uh, extended time we see the Predator? Because, I mean, it's always fighting scenes before, but when he gets out of the water and like his, his camo zaps out. Aside aside from the repair scene. Yeah, is, I think this is kind of the first time we see him kind of standing and just looking all badass in his armor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, other than the repair scene, but that was that was not as Which big. in the in the vein of like Jaws and other things, it's, it's cool when they have a, a great villain that you really don't see him in full like that until the final battle. Yeah. I mean, we're now we're now in in the end game. I mean, if if I if it were me, I would I would put in a complaint to the camo active camo department about waterproofing cuz obviously <laughs> uh, that that's a big problem. I'm sure I'm assuming he he wouldn't have gone in if he had known that. He would have gone around maybe. But he, well, so. he did go to a rainforest. Yeah. Uh, which it never rained, thankfully. Maybe if it rained, that that would have like literally 
uh, kept killing his camo. So that'd be interesting. That'd be make for a funny scene with him sitting under a poncho, pondering life. <laughs> yeah, predator with an umbrella. <laughs> you just see the floating umbrella going through. Bright yellow umbrella too. That's what I want to see. Hunting in the rain. I'm hunting in the rain. <laughs> So now we get a, a the setup for the final battle. We get a bit of another another montage of Dutch creating more traps, and he creates his own bow and arrow, some spears, all these things. And, and we get a shot, and, and I don't know if, if you took this the same way. We get a shot of the predator like looking at his skull trophies. Yeah, and I think that he knows that the only one left is the alpha. Mm-hmm. Like he, he like these trophies aren't enough. He wants the final one. Yeah. For sport. Got to catch them all. Yeah. And he has, we basically also get, see him get that skin by ripping the skull and spine out of, out of one of the bodies, very sub zero style. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's true. I, I, as I was watching, I literally said, yelled, finish him. <laughs> So when when Dutch is ready for his battle, he covers himself with mud again. And so I, I have a quick note. So one one thing uh, we pointed out was uh, so you're going through this montage of Dutch going through completely caked in mud, building a bow and arrow set, sitting right next to a giant campfire. <laughs> it's small. It, that's a small campfire. He doesn't build the big one until he's ready. It's small. It's small. <laughs> And still, and, and he's still painting a giant target. Hey, here I am. Well, once he's ready, though, he makes a big bonfire, and then he lights a torch, and he gives this big, you know, guttural yell. Yeah, cause that, and to this point, uh, I'm thinking maybe the reasoning behind that is he understands that the Predator couldn't see him with the mud on, but maybe he hasn't put two and two together that it's heat vision. It could be. And maybe it's something else. So, it, that, and that's highly possible. That he just didn't realize it was heat vision, but if if that were the case, then why would he have created the big bonfire to draw? Uh, man, that's true. I, I did like the scene though, where the predator crawls right past him without noticing him, and then yeah, oh, as he's as he's sitting there in the yeah, it hit, yeah, in his ambush. No, it, oh, you're talking about the second, uh, yeah, yeah, waiting for the predator to come to his ambush. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's on a tree and he was like hugging a tree or something, and oh yeah, and the predator literally crawls right past him. And and he notices the the camo, you know, offset. You see, you see his eyes shift to the predator being right behind him. Yeah, because because all for so the whites of his eyes with Arnold. That's that's what you you notice, and it's uh it's this cool scene. Yeah. And then uh, Arnold gets a couple shots on him, and uh, predator fires blindly. But now the predator's camo no longer works. Mm-hmm. So they got a uh, almost on even ground. One thing I, uh, another note I have right before this that I totally forgot uh, was uh, the little scene where right before he lights the fire to get Predator's attention, we see him uh, taking his laser sights and heating up his arm blades. Oh, yeah. Like they start getting bright red, which is interesting because they were, they weren't heating up Mac when he was shutting them. This must be a different setting. (laughs) He turned it up to 11. Set phases to stun or kill. I do like the the scene where explosions in the background and you got the predator standing out on that tree limb mm-hmm. and it's just a great wide silhouette shot, kind of slow motion too. They they drag out the cat and mouse game quite a bit. Lots of explosions, back and forth shots. I think uh, at one point 
Dutch is like throwing sounds elsewhere so that the predator will fire and he can trace the trace his location back from the uh, from the shot trail. But eventually uh, Dutch falls in the water and the mud washes off and now the predator can see him. But doesn't kill him. The the predator knows. I mean, you can see him scanning Arnold Schwarzenegger, realizing that this is the ultimate human. Yeah, I, he he's sitting there basically wanting to play with his food at this point. Yeah, it's like uh, he takes off all of his armor, takes off his helmet, which is just awesome. Oh, yeah, beautifully done. Basically, giving this, I can I can take you without all this. You he sees you know you have no weapons anymore. I don't need mine. I can still take you. But say so even with like the you know you could say some janky camo and and heat vision special effects for eighty seven. Their predator, the makeup effects, the armor. Uh, I mean, flawless. Just the, yeah, the moving tendrils yeah. and everything. That was that was very, very well done. Yeah, so he wants to go one-on-one with, with Arnold now. No, he goes into the Captain America, I can do this all day, ego trip, <laughs> and just starts kicking Arnold He back. does. He just punishes him. <laughs> He's obviously physically superior, you know, super strength, everything. Dutch tries going under, uh, basically crawling away, he goes under the, the trap log, and then stops, basically waiting for the Predator to follow him underneath the log so he can trigger it to fall on him. And uh, Preddy, as I've got him written in there, I just call him Preddy. Uh, <laughs> he goes right up to the end of the log and stops because he, he, he's put two, to, two together, starts looking at the log and everything. I'm not entirely sure if he actually realizes it's a I trap think he does. or if he just doesn't want to take the chance. He thinks this might be a trap. Well, he had already gotten caught in one trap before. Yeah. So he knows that they can do this that's stuff. A, and that's a good point. We know he, he knows he, they can make traps. So he stops, examines the log and everything, and then walks around it. And you're thinking like, oh, well, there was your, there went your entire plan. Yeah. Uh, but Dutch, being the smart American he is, uh, has a second trap set up. Yep. <laughs> plan B. <laughs> Pretty much gets a, a log dropped on him, more or less. Yeah. Don't know how Schwarzenegger had the time or the resources to set that one up. That's <laughs> That was a big log. That's in the that, that must be in the in the extended edition montage. Yeah, director's cut. It's been a gotta love those montages. You're gonna be able to do that kind of thing. If you're going to storm Kim Jong Il's palace single handed, we have to make you a complete soldier in very little time. How are we gonna do that? I think I know just what we need. So, and Pretty's still kicking at this point, but not doing so well. Dutch literally picks up a rock and is about to just slam into him when he, he basically stops and sees, yeah, it's it's over. Yeah. Uh, he, he There's no point in doing that. What the hell are you? With uh, the Predator saying that back to him, the, what the hell are you, which has so, so many layers to it. Yes. Which, did you, did you look up um, who did the voice for the Predator? I thought they were just played back recordings. Well, they, they, they actually have an uncredited uh, voice actor oh, do they? Uh, doing the Predator voice. Oh. Uh, and it was Peter Cullen, a.k.a. Optimus Prime. Oh, okay. So yeah. one thing is something I never knew <laughs> until, until watching this and, and seeing it in the list. It's not Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs> <laughs> so Predator, 
uh, instead of just just dying, he decides to go out with a bang and uh, sets off his armor's self-destruct mechanism. So Arnold looks down and sees the alien letters that are appear to be counting down, and not just the countdown. What adds to it is the yeah. is the pre-recorded laugh from Billy. <laughs> it, yeah, that that was uh, a nice morbid touch to that. So yeah, so self-destruction, big explosion, smoke clears. Dutch is alive. Chopper approaches. And it's the general and Anna. And I'm assuming Poncho. I don't remember if we see Poncho. I, I don't remember if we see him or not. But yeah, we do see Anna. See Anna and the general. Which, why in the hell would the general be on that helicopter? I don't know. Because he, he had it in his contract to be in two scenes. I just lost a helicopter of Rangers, a helicopter of Green Berets, and a search specialized search and rescue team. I'm going to take the next helicopter out there myself. Yeah. Dumbass. Uh, so my ending thoughts this was a fantastic film i could go watch it again right now no absolutely this was great my only complaint is that opening scene yeah uh that and uh their liberal use of unlimited ammo <laughs> and that's and, and that's again something that didn't really happen much in the 80s and 90s action movies everybody just uh gave that creative uh, creative license and then at least they reloaded it did. That minigun did run out of ammo. After expending about 10 ammo boxes worth. <laughs> now, at least they showed that he was carrying an ammo box and that it was actually feeding it. I yeah. fully expected to see no ammo going into the gun and it just shooting anyway. A la Warthog. <laughs> there's no, there's no uh, ammo going into that either. Looks like a puma. <laughs> kind of like a big cat. <laughs> You're just making up animals. <laughs> They they did a great job just from a, from a military perspective with the the bonding of that crew and you could tell that they were a great team. The shift in the genre, the acting, Arnold at his most Arnold. I, I, it, it is. I mean, my favorite Arnold movie is still probably Total Recall, but then this one, it, it, you know, this in Running Man. And Grant, I haven't seen Running Man with a critical eye. I don't know <laughs> that one might. Might not hold up, but uh, yeah, I, I have. I think it does. Th- this one hits. This one hits all of Arnold's strong points just perfectly. Yeah, it really does. He's not trying too hard. He's not over the top. He's a crew leader first, a warrior second, and it, he's just flawless in it. C- credit to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. This is this is one of my favorite movies from that genre, that era. Um, while again, just like you, it's not my favorite Arnold movie. It's definitely up there. It, it's it would be my top three Arnold movies. Definitely, definitely. Uh, along with Running Man and Total Recall, <laughs> I, I'm in agreement with you. Total Recall, man. Uh, that's a that's a great movie. That's yeah. such a good movie. Uh, but and then I'll even throw as a potential you know one in there is, is I really enjoy Last Action Hero. <laughs> yes, which is also a John McTiernan film. That movie gets a lot of crap. Is that did that one make our list? Oh, it's on there. Absolutely, it's it's. Totally underrated. Everyone, if you haven't seen Last Action Hero, please watch it because it, as a, a great soundtrack too. It, it does, yeah. There's Macy DC and stuff on there, but as a as a satire send up of these types of movies, Arnold it, it was done very well. It, meta before meta was popular, you know. Mm-hmm. A couple of bits of trivia to throw at you for this. Um, apparently, while filming, these testosterone heavy dudes were. Uh, they would one up each other each morning. They would get one would get up before the other to be like, "I've been working out for hours," you know, while you were asleep, you know, pussy. Yeah. So, so then they kept waking up. They would try to top each other. Each one getting up earlier the next day. So then they ended up, you know, having insomnia. <laughs> Just 
they weren't getting enough sleep because they kept trying to wake up too early to work out and top the other people. <laughs> and this is crazy. I had no idea. So John McTiernan, right? Die Hard, yeah. last action hero of this, you know, known director. Did you know he was convicted in 2006 and went to prison for a year? For what? <laughs> oh, this ought to be good. For illegally wiretapping the producer on Rollerball. <laughs> What in he, the- he thought yeah. he thought the producer was trying to undermine him and, and make a different type of movie than he wanted to make. And so he was illegally wiretapping him. And eventually he pled guilty and all this stuff. But then it went through several appeals, got all the way to the Supreme Court. And he ended up serving 12 months in prison. And apparently since he got out, no one's, you know, he's, you know, he's like the plague in Hollywood. Wow. Damn. <laughs> well, yeah, nobody wants to, nobody wants to be tapped, wiretapped by him. I just kind of I was like, I, I like John McTiernan. I like his I like his movies. I love Die Hard. What what else has he done? And then I started reading. I was like, oh, <laughs> he's done time. That's what he's done. <laughs> Apparently, in prison, he wrote a sequel to the Thomas Crown Affair, but no one would make it. <laughs> Are we sure it wasn't just his own? Escape yeah, it was his own <laughs> thoughts and dreams. How to get how to get out of his his minor security camp? He was, tra- he was writing an instruction book on how to get him out of jail. <laughs> John McTiernan affair. Why is Pierce Brosnan breaking into a minor security camp in South Dakota? You you don't question James Bond, damn it. All right. Yeah. So where are we at here? Got our, our open questions. So for open questions, like uh this does this movie hold up today? Absolutely. I I would totally agree with you. Uh, there, there was absolutely, there was really nothing other, <laughs> the only thing to me that was really dated was, or overtly dated was the MTV t-shirt and retro has come back in style. So maybe that's not a, out of place as it might've been in the early 2000s. Yeah. If, if this movie had never been made and this franchise didn't exist and you made this movie today, you know, you could set this in, in you could set this in any disputed area. Absolutely. Where, you know, the U S military almost. Almost any disputed area that I have that as a, uh, as a, uh, alternate version. Okay. Of, uh, but I mean like the, but the whole thing still works, you know, you're, yes, you're there to the plot. The plot line is classic and was, is not going to be outdated. And, and I'm curious where predator two takes it. Cause I, I remember zero of that particular plot. So yeah, I literally just remember the ending. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> The uh, relatable references and stuff. It, say it's all all valid. The hunter to prey, yeah. the military action, like like we just said, yeah, it, it all it all holds up. Cultural sensitivity, aside from the the Indian tracker or Native American tracker trope, you could probably throw something in there about Central American, you know, stereotypes. Generalizing yeah, stereotype on that, I I'll agree with that. And then maybe the you know Hawkins being the you know the bad comedian with the pussy jokes. Yeah, it's always the combo guys. But yeah, but I, <laughs> right, and that, that's what I'm saying. That's not to me a non PC thing. That's that's the way it's supposed to be. That's a product of the characters. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's more realistic. It may be, it may not be PC, but it's realistic. Yeah, I mean, you you heard much worse <laughs> jokes on the line. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty tame, and better and better jokes, <laughs> better and worse at the same time. Right. <laughs> so. 
we we usually look to see what uh, if this movie was told from the antagonist perspective, and this is kind of unique because this one is partially told from the antagonist perspective, as the way it flashes back and forth. We don't get dialogue or or background or anything at this point, but we get first person view a lot. Yeah, from Preddy. And from a different alternate perspective, I wouldn't mind seeing a, a version that's strictly from the girl. Yeah. You know, she's she's just at that little compound. Then the Americans come in, blast it up. She gets taken. And then she tries to escape. And all of a sudden, the jungle comes alive. And she's terrified. I may have missed this. Was she a prisoner of them? Or was she with them? I think she was with them. Okay. And that's what I thought, too. I couldn't remember. So, yeah, she's just hanging out with the gorillas. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether or not she's or not. And then all of a sudden, yeah, everybody that she's with gets killed. Mm-hmm. And then she gets pulled into the jungle by a bunch of beefy Americans wearing MTV gear. And yeah, so I, I wouldn't mind seeing that. Uh, maybe not two hours worth, but you know, worth a worth a couple web videos. Yeah, that'd be good. Who would you say this movie is for? I would say uh, just just like Last Action Hero, uh, us. You know, any yeah. meat eating American male that loves a good yeah, you know, meat meat potatoes type. Yeah, uh, explosions. You know, booms. But not like over the top Michael Bay explosions. More real. It was more realistic explosion. Did did Tropic Thunder have any like throws to this movie? I don't remember or not. Uh, I don't re- recall either because okay. I haven't seen that since it came out. I-, I haven't seen it a long time either. But obviously, same sort of setting, and I, I could just picture those characters. If they didn't, then I could just still picture them in my head firing off into the jungle uh, at nothing. <laughs> the main thing I remember from that movie is Tom Cruise dancing. Well, and Robert Downey Jr. That too. Just, just, just a dude, dude playing a dude, dude disguised as a dude. <laughs> what do you mean, you people? <laughs> such a great... <laughs> All right, now we gotta watch that one. <laughs> I want to watch that again. That that mo- Speaking of not being PC, <laughs> holy crap! Yeah. <laughs> so. Let's see where uh, where do you think these characters are going to be in six months of the year? You think Arnold is retired from the military at this point? Has opened up a bed and breakfast in Vermont with Anna? He's in therapy. <laughs> <laughs> he's just he's, sitting in a bathroom somewhere, seven six two millimeter, or, or he's in a room full metal jacket. He's in a room staring at uh, Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> yeah, like. I swear, <laughs> it was like a seven yeah. foot monster. Oh, yeah, he's sitting there in a he's in a padded room in a straight jacket, saying he came out of the yeah, trees, man, <laughs> out of the trees. Because <laughs> of course nobody believes him. Ask the girl, and Anna's like, I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> Six, hey, I, I, I didn't come yeah. with this guy. He kidnapped. Yeah, yeah. Me. I was just you know, I'm just a translator for I, the I, army. I was just doing my thing, working, and then all of a sudden yeah. these guys came in. Yeah. All right. If you were to cast one of the recast one of the leads. Uh, I've got, <laughs> I had an initial thought on that. And then you made a comment, uh, that made me kind of almost rethink it. I was looking at, uh, my first thought was to get an entirely different type of over the top action hero. So I was thinking Steven Seagal <laughs> instead of Arnold. It's, it's really because he's a, di- he's a different Arnold is on a, a he's... special level because yeah. if, if you think about it, like Sylvester Stallone and, and other guys that are, are the muscle-bound action heroes. But then you've got Arnold, who, number one, he's got the accent, which I don't know how, but it works. You know, it's it's just something you accept with every Schwarzenegger movie. Yeah. That, you know, this American hero was not raised in America. <laughs> he's got a, yeah. I don't know how 
It's right up there. With, it's right up there with Sean Connery having a Scottish accent, no matter what uh, <laughs> what character he Even plays. When he plays a Spaniard. You know. He's the Spaniard <laughs> from Egypt, or the or the Russian submarine commander. <laughs> but I, I'm just I'm just picturing Steven Seagal, full ponytail and all, being out there, and I I can see that kind of working. But then you mentioned Jean-Claude Van Damme, and now I'm like, well... well he was the original Predator, which is where that joke came from. Jean-Claude Van Damme? He was. He was, and apparently some of the gymnastics you see are still him. Oh. But he uh, did not get along with the crew and didn't like the costume, and, and you couldn't see his face. So Yeah. So he he there was he left the project. Uh, yeah, this is, this is a tough one as far as... I mean, Arnold Ventura and Billy Duke. Those guys are, to me, hard to replace in this movie. The rest are replaceable, completely replaceable by anybody, any actor. I don't know. I'd almost, I'd almost throw Carl Weathers in there too, just from an iconic standpoint. Yeah, you're right. But from a character standpoint, I'll agree. You're, you're right. Yeah, Carl Weathers needs to be in that that short list of really kind of key people. But yeah, I'm gonna have to. I, I can't think of anybody that could take up Arnold's role in this movie. I really can't. I, I think that if you put Stallone in there, or it would be. Yeah, I don't think Stallone would work. Uh, my my only other thought was to go completely different. And so when I started thinking of Stallone, I was thinking Tango and Cash. I'm like, well, what well, about yeah, Kurt, Russell. <laughs> yeah, Kurt Russell? Yeah, yeah, Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell, like a la Soldier. Mm-hmm. Remember the, his movie Which Soldier? I think might have been John McTiernan. Don't, don't, don't quote me on that, but it might have been. <laughs> so that, uh, uh, him or like Stargate Colonel, not not necessarily Overboard, but, <laughs> or or Cash. The, um, say during 87, man, that's. That was right around Tango and Cash, wasn't I, it? I think that was, I might, well, yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm questioning my, my well, 80s. If now. only we had a magical box that I could type these questions into. Uh, Tango and Cash was 89. So this is pre-Tango and Cash. 89, okay. So if if I were to look up and see what Kurt Russell was doing while this was being filmed, see what see what movie kept Kurt Russell from being Dutch. My first thought is it's either Overboard. It was Overboard. <laughs> Our Big Trouble in Little China was 86. Overboard, 87. Tequila Sunrise, 88. Okay. He literally has a movie a year. (laughs) (laughs) Dating all the way back to 80. Not bad. But I digress. So, Um, well, what would you like to see a different version of this movie? So my my thought was, it goes back to where you were saying you could almost drop drop this today in today's zone into any conflict area. Except it has to be a conflict area with trees for it to work really well for the Predator. I don't see him dropping into middle of Afghanistan and being able to work that well. That's a good point. That's a good point. But you could throw but it in. Anywhere, anywhere, South America, Central America, Africa. Well, Europe, the Balkans, obviously Ukraine's going on right now. and But yeah, with the desert, well, but, but when you get into Afghanistan, you got a lot of mountains. You got a lot of ruins. You've also got a lot of landmines already there that you have to walk around drop them into north korea that would be interesting yeah into the dmz there you go Ooh. i'd watch that <laughs> yeah <laughs> it'd be like his own american gladiator type show you see if he can dodge all that well and and it goes in with the next question of would today's technology change the movie you know they they've they've tried it just the, the all the remakes and all the different attempts we, at- would have, we, we probably would have gotten a little higher def heat vision uh, and then I took a different, and then I took a different approach to this. I took a non-meta one with, what if the army, or what if 
Dutch's crew had today's technology, such as like NVGs, yeah, or and stuff like that. Well, and that's what I don't know if they would have brought them with them, but if- that's what makes this movie you know great, especially towards the second half, where you've got you know he's fighting with homemade bow mm-hmm. and arrow fire and sticks. You know, it's man against alien without the technology. And that's part of what makes the movie, you know, really good. So the technology, I could see them having it, but it needs to be ruined somehow. Like like somehow the the active camo also covers up his heat signature kind of thing. I I can imagine like how it should have ended if it was today, you know, Predator 1987. You got got Hawkins with a, a UAV handheld. He's like, oh, I see, I see the problem. Hold on, hold on a second, boss. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dutch, Dutch and his crew, Dutch and his crew were all in San Diego, <laughs> running UAVs and just bombing the entire place. Yeah, Hawkins be like, oh, I see him. Wait a minute. Boop. All right, he's down. Puss, <laughs> pussy. <laughs> Roll credits. All right. Um. Now, would you uh, would this be appropriate for your own kids? Send the hate mail, but my uh, my son and I watched this together, and he loved it. He had tons of questions, both about the army and aliens, and I love his questions; they're great. Did you did you <laughs> write any of them down? Uh, no, no, it was, it was a bit ago, but the uh, he, he enjoyed it. Uh, it's it's not like a three hour, you know. Lord of the Rings marathon or anything. So this was an you know, hour and a half or so. He was able to sit through it and it kept his attention. The death and everything d- does didn't bother him. It was all within context of the show and, it, and he loved it. Cool, cool. Which was nice. It was good to watch a movie with my my son. He's, he's getting into the, the good movies. All right. So now we have a new segment on our show uh, that we discussed for a while and decided to kick that off on this movie. And this is a uh, recast of the movie with the Muppets. Rules for this segment are going to be there must be one human is rule number one. Rule number two, Beaker must be in every cast. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, we'll just go down the cast list and we'll say each one, uh, see who, who we've got. Uh, we'll, we'll tweak this as it goes along per show and see the best format. But right now we'll just... Uh, who do, you, who do you want to start with? Uh, I mean, let's start with Dutch. For Dutch, I have him picked as you don't replace Arnold. Uh, Arnold is the is the one person. Now, see, I put, I pick Kermit. You have Kermit. <laughs> Kermit is Dutch. All right. I'm just picturing Kermit. You know, in as Arnold, we can, you know, we can kill it. <laughs> saying those lines, firing the the M16, <laughs> and also, and this goes into my Dylan. I have Dylan as Miss Piggy, so that. <laughs> So that when they do the, <laughs> the the handshake, you know, it's those two. Now, see, I I I have Dylan as Doctor Teeth. Okay, okay. This picture, okay. I could I could see that. What about Blaine? Good old Jesse the Body Ventura. I have Fozzie. I have Sam the Eagle. <laughs> I can, I think I did at one point, uh, but I, I I picked a better one for Sam Eagle. I think. <laughs> oh, okay. But yeah, I, I picture I just picture Fozzie holding that minigun with the hat. <laughs> wagga wagga wagga. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, and to me, it's just uh, Jesse Jesse Ventura's like blank stare throughout the entire movie matches so perfectly with Sam. <laughs> to me, <laughs> if you were going to replace him in anything, if, he would be Sam. If if he was turned into a Muppet, that's what he would look like. What about Mac? Who you got for Mac? I have Ralph. That fits, and I think I did at one point too. Uh, I changed that out with Gonzo. 
Oh, see, I have Gonzo somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> I could just, I could just picture, uh, you know, Dylan, aka Doctor Teeth, being grabbed from behind by Ralph, who's already laying in the bushes. <laughs> see, see, now I was picturing Gonzo going to Miss Piggy. You, you make any more noise, I'll cut you. I'll make you bleed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so for Billy, who do you have as Billy the Tracker? Beaker. That's where you have Beaker. All right. I actually have Floyd. Oh, from the from the band from the Mayhem. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, yeah. That 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 would work for for Billy. <laughs> I, I have Beaker because he's because he you know Beaker you think the Meeps right, but he's yeah. stoic the whole time, and the only time you hear him really yell is <laughs> so when when Billy gets killed off screen, you hear me. <laughs> I like that. So I had Beaker as Hawkins. <laughs> I just pictured Beaker trying to trying to trying to tell all his jokes, and instead of them being bad jokes, it's just that nobody else can understand him. <laughs> that is good. That is good. So for Hawkins, that's where I had Sam Eagle. Ah, okay. Delivering those pussy jokes as Sam Eagle. <laughs> that that also would be hilarious. Just completely dead faced. Yeah. Exactly. I, I, we may end up having like two, uh, two uh, of the same then at this point. For Poncho, that's where I went with Gonzo. That, that does work. I originally had Rizzo, <laughs> but I swapped out Rizzo for the human. So you got Poncho as the human that's just kind of an idiot in the middle. <laughs> See, you basically, you, at the end, you have a bunch of Muppets helping an injured human. Yes. <laughs> yeah, okay. uh, what about the general? I think we're the same on this one. It's played by both Statler and Waldorf. Yes, that, that's an easy one. But I, I, yeah, and I that one, I, that one, I literally have Statler and or Waldorf. <laughs> I, I could see them as two generals giving <laughs> giving the uh, the op order with those jokes. And then uh, uh, for the predator, Pepe the prawn. <laughs> you have Pepe. I went with animal. Animal does work very well. <laughs> but I, Pepe Pepe works so good too. Holy shit! I mean. I want to see these now. Uh, we need to contact uh, the Henson <laughs> and I think and get this done. And we both had Janice as Anna. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Howard. I'm dying. <laughs> Jungle came alive, man. <laughs> oh yeah, I I want to see both versions of this now. So we need to we need to talk to the Henson people. If you guys enjoyed that new segment, let us know, and we will uh, maybe do the go in reverse and do some mini episodes and Muppet cast our past episodes as well. Oh, yeah. It'd be interesting. All right. Uh, let's see. Any final movie thoughts you want to partake before we go into our ratings? I would say this is a staple that everyone should see, regardless of whether – I would say, uh, I mean, unless you really don't like any type of action movie whatsoever, that would be the only reason not to see this if you hate action movies. And I don't know anybody like that, thankfully. Everybody should see this movie. Uh, it's just a great movie. Yeah. And it starts off a, a really good, genre, like not only genre, but universe, uh, as well as ties into other universes, as we find out in the sequel. This is true. Spoiler alert. Yeah, yeah you're right. This is, uh, if someone says, oh, I don't like 
military movies or I don't like action movies. You know, it, it, it's 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 a, it's multiple genres. And there's really to find someone that doesn't like action, horror, survival or military movies, all of them, they can go watch the Lifetime channel as far as I'm concerned. You know, if you like any of those genres, you should watch this movie because it just kicks ass. It's a great movie. Agreed. So who did you recommend for the Cinema Decon Hall of Fame? For my vote for Cinema Decon, uh, I have to go with Bill Duke. I went with Arnold. You went with Arnold? I went with Arnold. I, I think this is just him in, in peak form, and he, he's really just solid. He made the movie. And I can I can go with that. Uh, Bill Duke, to me, uh, like I said, Mac was my favorite character. But I'll, I will uh, concede with you that this was Arnold at his Arnoldest. I don't think this movie happens without Arnold. That's a good Bill point. Duke is great. He, I did love that character, but I don't think this movie happens without Arnold at this point in time with him just being... Yeah, as much as I kind of want to see Steven Seagal version of it <laughs> at this point, uh, I, I kind of agree with you. I don't think it would have either happened or been as well received if it wasn't for Arnold. It, it's like that, that, that difference between an actor and a movie star. Mm-hmm. And, and Arnold was a star in this, and, the, and, that, and it set him off towards... The go- yeah, the governor. Stardom? <laughs> we had two future governors in this movie. We did. And this is not the first movie, or the last... Uh, this might be the first movie that they're both in. It's not the last movie they're both in. They were both in Running Man. Yeah, R- Running Man comes a couple years later, yeah. Or was it before? I, I think... Uh, actually, it's, a, it's, it's in my notes. Hold on. It's the same year. <laughs> They're both in '87. So they were. They both happen to be living at the same. They're probably in the same week. You know. Hey, I'm going to be in town for a couple of weeks. Let's make a few movies. Just need Carl Weathers to run for office now. We got a governor <laughs> thing coming up soon. Carl live in Georgia. Well, congratulations to Arnold Schwarzenegger, the latest inductee to the Cinema Decon Hall of Fame. Yeah. All right, now's the time in our show where we rank the movie based on our fan review, while also adding in the IMDb rating. This is a 10-point scale, and the average will put the movie in our mega list. All right, Steve, 1 to 10, where would you put this movie? I rank Predator at a solid 9. I'm, I'm right up there with you. I have it at an 8.8. Perfectly valid. If we factor in uh, the IMDb rating, which, wow, IMDb is not as happy with it as we were, which is surprising. They have it at a 7.8. Ooh. That's actually that's pretty surprising. The popularity is going up. That's because but, we told our listeners we were doing this one. So everybody. Very good. Very true. Yeah. The power of marketing. So, so by our powers combined, the composite score is 8.53, which puts this solidly as the number one show for Cinema Decon, Huzzah. which we kind of expected going in here. Yeah. Well-earned Three Amigos and Idiocracy were tied at 7.83, so 8.53. Yeah, it's a little commanding lead. That's, that's going to be tough to beat. We're going to need a, an equally good movie plus an equally good IMDb score, which is going to be tough. We haven't done any that have gotten above. This is the highest rated IMDb score we've done. Oh, okay. So Now that I'm looking at it. We're still trending same. We're just off by a little bit of a scale. So out of all the other movies we've done, what was the highest IMDb score, do you think? Would it have been Independence Day? No. No. All right. Uh, I don't know, honestly. Good night and good luck. That, I actually was about to say that too. Damn. It was a 7.4. I should have guessed. Do you remember the lowest? Uh, <laughs> um, critters. Ah, Coneheads. Coneheads? Seriously? Coneheads was a 5.3. I would have assumed Critters. 
Wow. I would assume hackers. So, <laughs> no, no, hackers was a staple. Terrible. No. <laughs> Without hackers, we have no Angelina Jolie. Uh, Hall of Famer. Hall of Famer. <laughs> All right, so uh, media pitch. Do you have anything you want to recommend to our listeners that you are watching, listening, or whatever these days? So, uh, so I do. Um, this one is—I don't know how to put it. It's—it's it's very unique and kind of specific. So I don't know if that many people will really get into it, but I had previously pitched uh, a show that I've been watching called Leonard Kenny, and which was uh, basically Canadian humor about the Hicks hockey players, skids and all the shenanigans that happen on in a small Canadian town. And very recently, uh, they just made a spinoff of it off of one of the uh, loudmouth hockey player main characters called Shorzy. Uh, it's played by the same guy who plays the main character in Letterkenny, but it's it's basically a spinoff that's completely centered around the Shorzy character and hockey. So uh, it, it's still the same kind of humor, but... It's it's a lot of hockey and it's it was a short run. I think it was like six episodes for the season, but it was it was still the same level of humor. It's just hilarious. Did Letterkenny end? I think no. They're still coming back. I think, uh, but they're on ten. They've they've done ten seasons. What's what's the name of it? Shorzy. Shorzy. S H O R E S Y. It's one of those you you kind of need to watch Letterkenny to understand where Shorzy comes from. But it's uh, I I think even non non hockey people will would like it. What platform is that on? What channel? Uh, I think it's Hulu. Hulu. I think cannot remember. It's Hulu or Crave. So mine is going to be a movie on Netflix right now. Uh, Netflix original movie called Tick Tick Boom, starring Andrew Garfield as Jonathan Larson. And um, I don't know if you're familiar with the musical theater realm with Rent and the uh, the guy that made Rent uh, was Jonathan Larson. Uh, he was a very talented man and he died young. He actually died the day before Rent was scheduled to go on Broadway. Mm. So this, this is called Tick, Tick, Boom. It's got a... Uh, that is an actual play that he did in a workshop and then they, they eventually made the movie. For all the musical theater fans out there, if there are any listening to this, please watch it. Andrew Garfield does phenomenal in it. He was nominated for an Oscar, which he should have won. Uh, it was, I, I was blown away. Yeah, don't don't get me started on Oscars. Uh, but I was blown away by this movie, and uh, he really does knock it out of the park. And tick tick boom, great movie, especially for anyone that's a fan of Rent. And this is a fairly recent one too. Yeah, it is. I, I've got the soundtrack. The soundtrack's great. Really, really good. All right, excellent. All right, uh, so normally here's where we would be spinning, but we've actually got a run of sponsored movies, thanks to our dedicated listeners. And our next movie is already known to most of you. It is the 1990s sequel to Predator, the uniquely named Predator 2. Yeah, it's a bold strategy on, on that name. Part to do. Yeah. <laughs> Joining us for Predator 2 will be friend of the show and sponsor, Jamal Milton. Provided all the schedules clear, the planets line, and the wind shifts out in the east, uh, should be happening fairly soon. I am personally looking forward to this because, like we said earlier, I don't remember much and uh, should be fun. Well, that's all for this episode. Thank you for listening, and we hope you stay with us through this little experiment. What did you think of Predator? Let us know on our socials, and we'll be sure to tell you how wrong you are. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. Check out our website in the show notes to see the full list of our movies and what we'll be covering and our rankings thus far. Be sure to give a listen to our sister podcast, Music Rewind, which has Season 2 airing now. We'll see you next time on On Cinema Cinema Decon.
Insert previous pre-watch segment. Repeat last line. <laughs> end, qu- end, end quote. End of quote. <laughs> Fuck you, San Diego. <laughs> Damn it, who put that on the teleprompter? <laughs> A podcast from the Sidereal Media Group. Back to you, anchors.